This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 62. What if you spent $1,000? That's a lot of money. $1,000 with a lawnmower. I fired it up for you and I walked it right out of your garage, pushed it into your swimming pool and said, well, it's doing what it's supposed to do. You would look at me and say, Chris, that's insane. A lawnmower doesn't belong in my swimming pool. Well, right. But if you don't spend the time to carefully deploy your talent, if you don't spend the time to carefully manage what your talent is working on and give them the opportunities, if you don't free the barriers to the capacity that they have cramped within them, you are effectively wasting money, which means not only you're leaving upside on the table, you're creating downside risk for everyone. And I have found that this construct has been an unlock for people, both HR professionals, as well as the folks in the business. They get it. Why is talent the ultimate value creator? How can you unlock the capacity of your people and a high-performance culture? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Chris Scalia. Chris is a Chief Human Resources Officer for the Hershey Company, which is a values-driven snacking powerhouse with annual revenue over $11 billion. As CHRO, Chris is responsible for Hershey's people and culture vision, strategy, and execution. And Chris joined the company in 2005 in the legal department with an expertise in labor relations and transitioned to HR in 2011 and hasn't looked back. Since that time, he's held many HR leadership roles at Hershey, including Chief Talent Officer and Vice President HR Business Partner of Global Functions, all of which prepared him for the top job. And as CHRO, Chris's stated mission is to unlock the capacity of people so they can radically advance Hershey's long-term value and live their best lives. Chris is also a self-described business junkie and talent nerd, which honestly might be why he's one of the best in our field. In my conversation with Chris, we discussed why he believes talent is the ultimate value creator, why it's important that your organization has a strategic narrative that drives clarity and purpose, why the most effective listening capabilities give team members a direct voice in shaping strategies and how the business operates, why he believes every high-performing team is comprised of visionaries, pragmatists, and geeks, why he believes a strong employee value proposition can build trust, increase organizational agility, and foster inclusion, and his advice for future CHROs on how to be successful in the role and much more. Chris, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. JP, thanks for having me. Such an honor to be on this podcast, especially after 52 episodes. Outstanding, outstanding progress in a year. So congratulations to you. Thank you, Chris. Well, support from you and many others have helped make the podcast special and supported and honestly listened to. And and that's what it really means a ton to me. Can I give you, in the spirit of being a professional HR person, can I give you some unsolicited feedback? I'm happy to have some unsolicited feedback. You're making an incredible contribution to our field and profession with this one. I think it's important. Your guests are amazing, but the magic of this show 
is the moments that you create for those guests, one-to-one. No two moments are the same. That's what's going to set up a million downloads. And I think that's the goal. I'm going to work toward 400 downloads, but I'm going to try to work hard to get you to 1 million. I just think you're making such an unbelievable impact generations of HR professionals could benefit from. So I really mean that's quite sincere. That means a lot, Chris. I appreciate you saying that. All right. Well, I'm blushing and you can't see that. Thank you, Chris. Again, I honestly means a lot. And I'm pretty convinced your episodes are going to get more than 400 downloads. Well, I'm almost 100% sure. Let me know. So let's start off. I have a hard hitting question for you. It might be the hardest hitting question I've ever asked on the Future of HR podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, what is your favorite Hershey candy? That is, in fact, one of the hardest hitting questions that I've ever received. No one has ever asked me that. All kidding aside, any brand that is growing is a brand that I love. And we, of course, have expanded far beyond candy. We're into salty snacks and better for you snacks and protein bars. So it is a difficult choice. But the question was candy. It's the big orange. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. Is there any other champ of the world out there right now? I don't think so. And I just, as a kid, I can remember every moment of unwrapping those cups. Our consumers tell us how important that unwrapping ritual is to them. Every single time I have a Reese cup, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm back as a kid again. That's a pretty special brand in my heart. The Big Orange is my family's favorite as well as my favorite. We can't get enough of that. And we found that you've got Reese's Peanut Butter Cup pretzels. Look, if Hershey wants to sponsor the podcast, I'm ready because they were the best things we've ever had. And so now we've been trying to find them everywhere. Yes. Or on Amazon and they're amazing. So Hershey's got a lot of great products. Salty Snacks as well. People should check that out. Skinny Pop, Doc's Pretzels. So imagine we now own a pretzel manufacturing business. It is truly a game changer for us. So thank you for that very nice compliment. And also thank you for being a consumer. We don't make it if we don't obsess over what you love. So thanks a lot. All right. Well, we're all going to eat Hershey's and hopefully they have to work out afterwards. So thank you for that, Chris. Let's get into the show here and talk a little more about your unique path to becoming a CHRO because you started your career as a labor and employment lawyer. Tell us a little more about that early career and how you transitioned into an HR business partner role. My pathway into HR really had three primary sources of motivation. Number one, I a bold ambition to make an impact on people and in business. While law is incredibly interesting, it's cerebral and intellectual, it was not my passion. And second, I had fantastic coaches and mentors. And for every guest out there, your success is not your own. It's never your own. I had fantastic coaches and mentors who encouraged me to believe in the possibility of an HR career. And then Lastly, I said yes to a lot of scary opportunities. Again, in the spirit of inspiration, there will be so many things presented to you over the course of your life and your career that make no sense, that are scary, that are challenging, that seem difficult, maybe insurmountable. Finding the internal courage to say yes, so critical. Those three things come together. I was supposed to be working at a project, a labor relations project, of course, as a labor lawyer, I had a lot of expertise in that space. Our HR team at the time didn't have that kind of expertise in-house. 
then CHRO came to my office and said, look, I want you to work on this for about two months, and then you can come back to the law department. It was a big corporate labor campaign. I talked to my boss in the law department. They needed me to do it. It was a company priority. I understood that area of the law quite well from my prior experience in a big law firm. And so I did it after two months and a lot of interesting learnings. I learned all success in life and in business comes from the ability to change and change again. And I learned that on that particular assignment that was supposed to be a short journey. When I had a chance to join HR, it was over a slice of pizza. We were actually just debriefing the end of this project. We were successful. The CHRO said to me, listen, your pathway is in HR. I want you to come to HR. And I looked at him and I said, I accept right there in the moment. I never looked back. And I think that's an important lesson for my own journey that's worth sharing. When you say yes to those scary opportunities, critical that there is no plan B. Because if you have plan B already in your head, you're not spending the time on succeeding in plan A. And as you know, as a talent person, sustained high performance over time means everything thrown in, you continue to do well. Plan B undercuts not only your ability to execute brilliantly and do well, but it also already sets your mind on the path of failure. For me, it's coming out of the law, it had to work. That was the journey into HR, and it was something that now I look back on as life-changing. So in that instance, Chris, you felt like there was no plan B. So once you moved out of being in a lawyer, if you will, employment lawyer, into HR, you said, hey, I'm all in. Like, I'm not going back. There probably wasn't really a role for you in some ways. You had just to figure that out. Is that right? You just jumped all the way in? So not only did I know there wasn't a role, I was told there is no role. Your role will be filled and your path back into the law department will be closed. Not because of hard feelings, but because of budgetary and capability needs. And so it was like, we're going to fill this role. You can't go try this and then come back. And I had a great, back to fantastic coaches and mentors. I had a great mentor who said to me, so let me get this straight. If you go in to HR and you're even moderately successful, but don't love it, are you telling me that this company doesn't have room for a great lawyer? It's just such a valuable perspective in that moment. If you're going to be great at something, dive headlong into it. Know that you have to bet somewhat on yourself and trust that the networks of people around you and that your family support system and that all of those that have made you great along the way, that they're going to pick you up. I was totally free of being a lawyer. In fact, my license as a lawyer was frozen. I literally was no longer a lawyer, but it was a great decision. And I look back on it now and I wish only that I had 15 to 20 more years to add on to this career in HR. It's that enjoyable. Well, it's a great story and it's a great point around going all in and giving your best effort when you take on those opportunities because it probably requires your best effort to be successful in that role, as I'm sure it did for you. And you obviously were great at it. In your progression to CHRO, you had several other important leadership roles. How did each of those roles help prepare you for the top job or were there one or two that just really stood out? All of them came with their own learnings, lessons, failures, opportunities, successes. Of course, the people you meet along the way are the very foundation uh, that you use to motivate you to that next role. 
I'm going to talk about two. The first was the senior director of the supply chain. So I was the lead business partner for our supply chain, which of Hershey's entire operation at the time, 12,000 of 15,000 people back then, 12,000 were in supply chain. Manufacturing facilities, 25 plants. I think the largest team that I had ever actually led was three other than functional project teams and such. So maybe that a little bit more. I think I'd led a team of three. Suddenly I had a team of eight. We had people in all these facilities that were HR professionals. And here I am coming into this role and I'm the labor and employment lawyer. I learned a lot in that role. I learned first every dimension of Hershey's business. This is so important. Product safety, people safety, customer service. I learned front to back how Hershey not only makes the product, but also makes money, how actually delights and services consumers, customers. Huge opportunity to learn the business, which I think is foundational to our success in any endeavor. Second, I learned how to constantly innovate. Many of the systems that were available within the overall HR capability at that time did not apply to supply chain and manufacturing. Running a set of manufacturing facilities, as you know, is different work when you're talking about talent versus working in a knowledge worker environment. So we had to innovate and retrofit all the tools that existed in the centers so that we could actually use them in manufacturing. What's the beauty of being able to innovate in a role is when you don't know all of the rules, you aren't worried about breaking them. Taking those moments and working with the team to say, we're going to figure out a way to turn this into a world-class manufacturing organization, both in what it does, but also in who does it. And that job taught me so much. The second job was this role as the head of talent. I also, coincidentally, was asked to serve as the lead business partner at the time to our COO, Michelle Buck, who then went on to become our CEO now, Michelle Buck. That role was utterly terrifying. And it was terrifying because it was in a domain was quite obvious. I was not the expert. I was working with the board for the first time. I was working with the most senior management team. I had teams of experts who were, had been long-term experts in the professions of talent management, all dimensions of learning, talent acquisition. And so what I learned in that role was deep humility from knowing very little and yet wanting to figure out how to create value. It's the perfect blend of strategy, board management, execution of systems, all for the benefit of people. And the most important lesson was that ultimately I could not do it myself. I had to rely on others. Tell you a very quick story when I knew that I could do it, but I also had to learn and believe in myself. And that was the night before, probably the most significant meeting I ever had as the head of talent, my very first. The night before I was in the elevator going downstairs and I ran into one of our SVPs, who's now a CEO at a company. And he said, well, are you ready? And I kind of paused and I started to fumble with my words, maybe pander a little bit to his good graces. And he stopped dead in my tracks. And he said, we must execute. And tomorrow you must be brilliant. And I stopped talking and I looked at him and I said, thank you very much. You're absolutely right. That lesson for me was a really important lesson, but I was terrified in that job for the better part of a year and a half. 
those two stand out, but of course, many others. Yeah, well, those are incredible learning experiences. I mean, I love that the supply chain role really helped you understand the business end to end. And that's so important if you want to become the CHRO, because the more you understand the business and how it works, the more effective you can be, and the more credibility you're going to have. And then in that talent role, really moving that more strategic side, if you will, getting more visibility to what that looks like at the board level, et cetera. Huge, huge, huge opportunity for you. I met, And I love how you said- I met yeah, you in that talent role. That's right. That's how we met yeah. a long time ago. We had a chance meeting. And I will tell you just quickly before you move on, in that talent job, I found my true calling as an HR professional. Now to this day, I am talent nerd. I love it. I read everything I get my hands on. It's the one discipline within all that we do as CHRO that I spend a little extra time. I just really found my calling and talent. I love talent as well. And yeah, I think most HR people really do aspire to that. They understand you pick it up. And I think the more you can understand the principles of talent, the better you can be at all disciplines around HR. That's really the job is coming more and more. Everyone's becoming a chief talent officer in my perspective over time. So many good lessons there around you know, next generation HR leaders. I kind of want to jump ahead though, Chris, and just talk a little bit more about talent because you've said in our conversations that talent is the ultimate value creator for organizations. So tell us more about why you believe that's so. Hershey is a company that does four things. We obsess over delighting the consumer. I mean that quite honestly and literally. We obsess over it. We solve problems for our customers. We listen to our people and do the right thing. And frankly, we make sure that we invest in ourselves, our brands, our teams before we invest in other things. When you think about talent, and I was just talking about this with a friend recently, it is the greatest source of economic value creation and also our most substantial economic risk. Absolutely and entirely, there's no P&L that you look at over the course of a strat plan, over the course of a 10-year view, over the course of a one-year plan, no P&L that consistently spends billions of dollars a year on any other form of capital. So when you think about talent as both value creator and risk to manage, it's like everything else. It's at the core of your organizational capability. Absolutely, it is expressed through skills. It often is more than any other amount of capital spent any other point in a business cycle. And people create outcomes by applying those skills, those expenses, their attributes to work that's important. And that's why goals really matter in this context. It's why there's tons of opportunity for waste. And of course, lots of obsolescence and the productivity has a high beta. When you think about talent, like any other form of capital, it has to be carefully deployed. It has to be grown smartly over time. Obviously, it has to be freed of any constraints. The capacity of that talent has to be unlocked. When I think about that trapped capacity, especially at Hershey, that means we're leaving money on the table. That means that we're leaving service to our customers unfulfilled. And imagine any business conversation, JP, I mean, you've been in a ton of them. Imagine any business conversation where a high beta outcome lost economic value through talent or lost economic value of any kind would be acceptable. Imagine any conversation where that would be acceptable in your career. 
So we have to treat it the way that we treat money because actually money is far more abundant until it's far more scarce. I really do believe that my singular mission as CHRO is to unlock the capacity of our talent. If we do that correctly, we can radically advance the value of this company and we can help people live their best lives with Hershey. That is so central to everything that we're doing here. I couldn't agree more. And I love how you're bringing this full circle to talk about talent. Because if you think about, it's cliche sometimes to say that the organization with the best talent wins. But when you really look at the numbers, it's true, right? It really is. You're not just talking about individual talent, right? I think a lot of times we talk about executives, billionaires. And we have a myth of the one great person who's creating the success. But when you break it down, it's talent at all levels, doing their job, executing, innovating. And I think for Hershey, when I think about what you do as a consumer products company and a food company, I mean, you are innovating all the time. There's food that you guys make that I had no idea needed and wanted. And that's someone thought of that, you know, and that's talent creation and creating something. And I think that's what's so incredible. But we do get a little bit over-indexed, I think, on executive talent or this one or two people who are going to change everything. And the reality is you need lots of great talent. And that means you need to have systems and processes to produce that. From your perspective, Chris, what are those fundamental systems or processes that an organization has to have to get talent in place and to win? We have really advanced workforce analytics at Hershey, something that I'm very proud of, but also something that has generated such incredible understanding of what's going on with our talent. When we looked at this trap capacity, here's what we discovered. Number one, missing information on why people were doing the work in the first place was a major capacity barrier. People not understanding how their contribution drove the business forward. Two, wasting time for the simple reason that time is life's currency. And if I'm wasting it, I'm actually sending you a message that I don't respect you or respect your time, the currency of your life. Three, unclear work accountabilities and success requirements. So these were barriers to sustained high performance for people and for teams. And then lastly, low energy, typically from ineffective leadership or skills gaps in roles. So our team stepped back and said, all right, we're really going to get the maximum amount of value out of disinvestment of talent. What do we need? And you'll be surprised at some of the answers. First, a strategic narrative, a central problem statement that has a solution with an extreme benefit for both Hershey and our people. We have to have that strategic narrative. The HR capability in that space is all about goal and performance management. The business benefit, though, is alignment and decision-making. And for people, it's clarity and it's purpose. So the strategic narrative has such incredible power for unlocking that capacity. A few others, continuous listening. We have credible continuous listening capability using advanced analytics. Allows us to dialogue with our people in real time, no matter where they are. Again, of course, from a business benefit, we're getting a very actionable people insight. But what our talent is getting is a direct voice in shaping our strategies and actually how we run this business. I love that. Another is work design and skill building. Of course, workforce planning, talent development and management, the way that we attract talent, our leadership development programming, all of that goes to this idea of work design. 
And of course, the business benefit is we have cost and capability management that we can actually focus on and put into our strap plan. And for talent, it's the ability to create an impact and to innovate. So many people are talking about the skills gap right now, JP. I'm not sure that's the right question. I think the question is, how are we going to learn and relearn so we can innovate faster? And I just discontinue when I'm listening to folks who say that the future is skills. I just skip that part of the podcast sometimes. Maybe to my own peril. We'll see. The last one would be teaming. Teaming is all about being intentional. And I always say to our folks, look, we need a team of visionaries, of pragmatists, and of course, of geeks. And the visionaries, they know what's possible. The geeks know how to do what's possible. And the pragmatists tell us what we shouldn't do, what's too much. I think the business benefit in that situation with teaming is explosive high performance. And for people and for our talent, the benefit is the energy to not only drive performance, but also inclusion and belonging. Think about all the great teams you've been on. When you were part of it, you were part of it forever. So just a few, and of course, all the systems that go with that, we have built, we've redesigned our entire HR capability to unlock this capacity. You know, Chris, it's really interesting. I mean, I love how you broke this down. And if we flip it a little bit and said, what if the organization doesn't have a strong narrative? What if it doesn't have a purpose? How does it impact employees? What if we're not listening to employees? What if my work is designed so it's inefficient, doesn't feel like it's having an impact, doesn't align to my skills? What if innovation is not rewarded? And what if we're not working together as a team? And I think what you actually guys really describe is what a high-performing organization should look like with a common purpose, with goals, listening, leveraging that to design the work. Yeah, I think the innovation piece is so critical. People feel like they can take and do something different. And then really, the last thing on teaming was really great about really a statement on inclusion. Everyone's got a voice and can add an impact to bring things to life. And so I love that you guys are doing that. And we're not going to get into Hershey's models and everything, but it sounds like you have a consistent approach of how you try to put this together. And your HR team is bringing this to life inside Hershey. Our team is so interesting right now because we ourselves are going through constant state of transformation. We have a completely integrated HR model. And the way to think about it is the HR business part of that, with all due respect to Dr. Ulrich, I have lots of commentary about, about the business partner model, but we have really made that more of being a strategic talent partner, a singular focus on unlocking the capacity of our talent, our teams. That is surrounded by COEs that are pointed toward the business. So the work of a COE is no longer about design, implementation. It is design and implementation execution. A person from Total Rewards could expect to work on an M&A integration. They could expect to be involved in a line-level program. They could be expect to be actually in a plant executing some agenda. They are there to drive the business. That is surrounded by operational excellence of shared services and HR service delivery. I do believe that your privilege to be strategically effective begins with operational excellence. And that is something that we are chasing here at Hoshi. And then that is surrounded by workforce analytics and the power of the data and the insights, put those things and surround them with leaders, really effective HR people. One of your guests said this, it resonated with me so much. All of these tools, the data, all of the insight that we're generating, 
all of our analysis really isn't worth a thing. It doesn't have brilliant HR professionals as coaches. So in that regard, I think we're safe from generative AI. I really do. I think there will be a place for brilliant professional HR people for a long time to come. I agree with you. I think we're not going to go away with AI. I think, in fact, it's going to be an ad to help us, just like other technologies in the past. But what I love that you kind of walk through, in my mind, I could see the whole model. These really tip-of-the-spear HR partners that are really understanding the business and driving and coaching and changing, looking for capacity. Centers of excellence being business-focused. And sometimes I think centers of excellence can get too programmatic. Well, we have this program for leaders, people with high potentials or new promotions. But is that solving the business problem? So I love that you're just aiming them on what business problem are we solving? Make it practical, right? And solve something, which is brilliant. And the analytics piece, I think you guys are doing some more class things there to see that. And then I agree, shared services. You have to have a foundation there. And shared services is so important. So if you've got that operational excellence, you can get to strategic. Of course, I really, I love that model. And it sounds like you guys are really creating a lot of capacity and change through HR leadership, not only just your model, but the way you're going about it. What advice do you have for other HR leaders who are trying to unlock capacity or trying to change their organization from the inside out? How do you get started? How do you start to think about this? So I love that question because it's exactly the question that I think every CHRO, every HR executive is being asked to address by CEOs and boards every single day. I do think it begins first and foremost with a belief that HR plays indispensable role working day in and day out at the center of the most significant work a company is a result that a company is trying to produce. You have to believe that you have something to offer that will actually drive value for the stakeholders, whether that is your stockholders or the communities in which we live and work. You have to believe that. Second, it is truly to ask questions that are questions of strategy, not necessarily questions of tactical execution or, or functional excellence. They are business questions. They have implications to the business. Third is to be really paired up with the business cadence and the business planning system. I think this is a critical opportunity for all of us. If you're speaking the language of business, which is finance, and you're bringing insights and analytics to the dialogue of planning, and you're doing that in the normal cycle and rhythm of the business, you will make your life as an HR professional exponentially easier. And then that allows you to say, okay, if I can talk about people through the construct of money, I will have the attention of the management team, the board, the CFO, the CEO, and every person who's leading in this corporation will understand this is actually not only incredible upside, but a very significant risk to manage. And then that allows you to create the unique strategies. You're speaking the language of the business for the business, but you're also being the guardians of protecting what matters for people because all business all outcomes will be driven people who can change, help others change. Put that on my HR tombstone someday. Well, I think a great advice. And Chris, the way you're, you're framing that up, I think sometimes we get into the financial piece and you're really saying, look, there's upside when you think about value creation. And there's also risk. And we don't think about those two things enough. And maybe don't spend enough time trying to translate our people initiatives into actual revenue producing. 
And it might just be risk. What if we don't have that training program for the new salespeople? Yeah. Well, we should cut it. What if we do that, but then they don't hit the sales targets? In those conversations, you need to start putting that, are we either generating revenue or are we cutting costs? And what are the downsides and upsides for these strategies? Yeah. What if you spent $1,000, that, that's a lot of money, $1,000 with a lawnmower. I fired it up for you and I walked it right out of your garage, pushed it into your swimming pool and said, well, it's doing what it's supposed to do. You would look at me and say, Chris, that's insane. A lawnmower doesn't belong in my swimming pool. Well, right. But if you don't spend the time to carefully deploy your talent, if you don't spend the time to carefully manage what your talent is working on and give them the opportunities, if you don't free the barriers to the capacity that they have trapped within them, you are effectively wasting money, which means not only you're leaving upside on the table, you're creating downside risk for everyone. And I have found that this construct has been an unlock for people, both HR professionals, as well as the folks in the business. They get it. HR is here because all of us are, are something that can add value to the business. And if not, we're going to detract from it in a road about. Yeah. And I, I think the key for us as HR leaders is to find business leaders that understand and appreciate that. Not everyone does. And that's part of the challenge. And for our opportunity is to continue to help them see that and educate them. And I thought you were going with the lawnmower into the pool was more of a sink or swim analogy. <laughs> it could have been. With hiring a new executive and we just throw them in the, oh. the deep end. We're like, well, I hope they survive. We're like, well, didn't we just spend $100,000 on an executive search to get this executive? And shouldn't we support them? Well, they didn't figure it out in three months. So now we're going to fire them. Like, wait a minute, three months ago, we loved them. And we do this again and again in talent and with people. It's just a great analogy with the lawnmowers. So now we're going to talk about lawnmowers and pools. Lawnmowers and swimming pools, my friend. And remember, these folks that listen to this podcast want to be inspired. I also think they want to be entertained at some level. That's, that's the quality of your guests. I think you're definitely delivering on that. Let's talk about employee value proposition because I have to talk to you about this because I think you guys are doing something really unique. When people talk about employee value proposition or talent brand, I think is the new fancy term we like to use. We typically only think about this for recruiting. But you and your HR team actually see it as a central tenant to your people strategy. So what are you doing differently here that we can all learn from? Okay. So first of all, I like talent brand. I haven't read that yet. So thank you for educating me. The strategy to unlock the capacity of our talent and our people, right? That strategy is incomplete without considering the need to drive change. And at Hershey, we're using our EVP or our talent brand to build trust and drive inclusion so that we can change in any context. Businesses like ours face lots of ups and downs. There are great moments and there are agony at moments. There are, are things that we don't like and there are things that run in. So let me just walk through a bit and explain how we're thinking about it. Importantly, our workforce analytics and continuous listening was actually the sole tool that wrote this strategy, all from our people. What I'm talking about are things that our people around the world have told us matter most to them. So care systems and rewards. We have been raised in the professional management system not to talk about a person's needs or what's going on with them personally. And so we have really started to revamp the idea of financial, physical, emotional, and yes, I am saying mental health. I actually think it is one of the greatest risks to the talent capital and the people we have in this business is mental health. 
So, of course, the HR capability in that space is a rewarding employee experience, the ability to curate a user experience, if you will, or an employee experience that is fantastic, total rewards. Business benefit is mitigating the risk of a huge change. If people are physically, emotionally, mentally, personally well off, they're going to be able to weather quite a bit of change. And your people will feel secure and they'll feel supported. And I think that is so critical. Flexibility and time use. We've talked about time as the currency of life. The HR capability there is all about innovation. You know, we have to come up with new constructs around work, where work gets done, how it gets done, et cetera. It creates adaptability in our organization at Hershey. And for our people, they feel valued and they feel respected. When you think about the construct of change, knowing that you are valued and respected means that you are considered. Skills and career growth, that's not surprising. Everyone wants that. I think what's unique, though, the business benefit is that we're capable in the face of this considerable change. And of course, for the talent, it's motivated. They're motivated to learn. They're motivated to change their skill sets, motivated to take on new challenges, to say yes with no plan B. So motivating our people to be lifelong learners. I love the expression, be learn-it-alls, not know-it-alls. That's something that we talk about here. And then an energizing experience. You know, food is fun. And ultimately, inclusion and learning from an HR center are important, but only if they're put into the importance of that energizing experience. It creates discretionary effort for our business. And here's the big head fake for people, JP. It actually makes them happy. I'm sorry, in this world, I think happiness still has to be something we're talking about. And if we do these things the right way, if we take this strategy, unlock the value capacity of our talent, if we make sure that we're using our talent brand or our EVP to help them navigate change, some pretty amazing things happen. Number one, we create incremental economic value trapped in the way that we work. Right. Number two, we take better decisions, typically powered by data. They're digitally enabled. Three, we continue to take care of people. People talk about the net promoter score and all the indicators that are important. It's an indicator of how well you are taking care of your people, your most significant asset. And I mean that it is your most significant asset. And then you're supercharging your culture as fuel to propel Hershey forward. And when I say propel forward, I mean forever. That's what we talk about. Milton Hershey gave away his entire fortune to a school for children. It's the Milton Hershey School. I encourage you to learn about it, your listeners, just to simply Google mhskids.org. This school was created entirely by our founder. And in the deed of trust, it says that it is his intent that it will survive and thrive in perpetuity. For us, we do talk about Hershey forever. It is so important because honestly, the lives of children, the communities that we impact are depending on it. And I think you need those two things. You need the, the supercharged capacity-freeing talent strategy, and you must have that outstanding EVP for the sake of driving change. Without it, I'm not sure that our path forward is as prosperous. Well, Chris, your passion comes through, and I think a lot to learn from how you guys are approaching your employee value proposition. But what I think is so clear is that you're actually bringing it to life, actually being lived and trying, and you try to bring that to life. And I think the commitment there is is huge. It's not a marketing campaign. It's a real promise 
to your team members and you're bringing that to life. And I think that's what organizations sometimes don't do when we try to make big promises that we can't always deliver. There are some really important lessons as CHRO. And I just want to share a few of them with you because it's such a relevant point to what you just said. Number one, being valuable begins with being relevant. We're not relevant to what's going on in the lives of people, but we're missing the point, especially in 2023 and in the context of our business. Number two, your relationship with your CEO and your management team colleagues is the magic elixir of all HR innovation, of HR credibility, and ultimately of the credibility that you carry with the workforce. And then lastly, I learned this lesson during COVID. I talk about wartime presidents or whatever that expression is. Well, now we're talking about COVID CHROs. My tenure as CHRO began on January 1st, 2020. The world really changed quite radically a few months later. And what I'm really, really inspired by every day is making one good decision at a time and, and doing that for the benefit of people. We were telling our folks during COVID, listen, there's probably not a playbook for this. So just make the right next decision for the benefit of people and for the benefit of Hershey and everything will be okay. That's probably the most important lesson I've learned so far. Chris, thank you for the last piece of advice for CHROs. Really, really great, impactful. But you've got one more piece of advice because there's one question that I have to ask you that I ask all guests, as you know, and you know it's coming. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? I stressed over this question, especially after I listened to your answer. AI, clever devil. The answer is, it's a phrase, it's tell me why. I think CEOs are asking, tell me why this particular outcome is happening. Our greatest asset, our greatest expense, our greatest opportunity, and our greatest risk are people. With all due respect to Dr. Dave Ulrich, a person that I've met and really think a lot of, I don't want a seat at the table. We as HR professionals are here to host the table, the table of leadership. And in law, the expression is that the doors of justice are closed to everyone but the lawyers. And in business, we have always talked about how the language of business is finance. And I think all of that is changing. And HR is now uniquely positioned data, analytics, and with the professional judgment of understanding human beings and leadership to answer the CEO's questions with facts and with conviction, benefit of the business. So I think, tell me why is going to be the phrase that defines HR both today, but also for the next 10 years. I think it is one of the most noble professions you know, of any profession, but certainly in business. And I encourage anyone out there who is thinking, Maybe HR is a pathway for me. Encourage you just to take the shot. And I would like to offer to your guests who can find me on LinkedIn, I would be glad to talk with you about a career in HR if you're wondering what it's like. I really believe that's a contribution that I can make to the question. That's an incredible gift, Chris. And tell me why is a great question. You have been an incredible guest. I'm going to dedicate this podcast to The Big Orange. The Big Orange. The Big Orange, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. 
thanks for all you do. And thank you for inspiring uh, the next generation of HR leaders. Yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Congratulations on your success. Continued good wishes and my support if I can help you. Onward to 1 million downloads, JP. Visualize it. It's happening. We'll make it happen for you, Chris, and for everyone else. Thanks a lot, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Chris for sharing his insights on why talent is the ultimate value creator for organizations and how to unlock it. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share our podcast with one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. This helps us grow the podcast and helps our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Cole Knapper, who's Vice President, People Analytics, and Chief Evangelist at Orgnostic, which is one of the best people analytics, generative AI, data orchestration, and employee listening tools on the market. In my conversation with Cole, we'll go deep on people analytics and what generative AI really means, how it works, and how it'll impact the HR function. This will be a great conversation and one you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.